Hi there. Welcome to listeners from across the globe. My name is Allison Nune, and this is Best Damn Reality, a new podcast intending to help bridge the spiritual and material worlds. Each week, I invite you to join me and to suspend all preconceived notions, to open your minds and your hearts to seeing everything from a much faster perspective. Should you be enticed enough, please also consider visiting me on my YouTube channel and on my business Facebook page, both under the name Allison Nune. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Good morning. Saturday, July 31st, 2021, here in Sarasota, Florida. The time is 10.04 a.m. Happy Anniversary is going to be the title of this podcast episode. I am more than a little bit nervous simply because the anniversary that this day represents is it goes back farther than almost any sort of day other than my own birthday. It goes back farther in this life um, and affects me at such a deep level. It was this day, the official meeting of this person in this life for me was, I dare say, equally as profound as the day that my soul joined this body in physical birth. Not trying to be overly dramatic in any way, but this would be the person with whom I would first fall in love. And it was anything but normal. It was um, anything but the ordinary experience of first love. Yet looking back now 31 years after the fact, I know without doubt and with such clarity what love I was being shown and what I had the privilege of experiencing as, at such a young age. It, it wasn't romantic love. It was the unconditional love that we are. And this person and I, on some level, we had an understanding of that. But because of what our physical realities were, our age difference, his marital status, just, you know, we, 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 we knew on some level what we were experiencing, but neither one of us really knew and nor did we really directly ever speak of it. We didn't know how to navigate what we were what we experienced given the rest of our lives and, and, and experiencing it in the specific situations that represented our earthbound realities at the time. So this is what I'm going to allow myself to get into today. And it is the ultimate, in my opinion, the ultimate love story because it, it represents, again, not the person that was the object of it. He will forever be the first one in human form that really showed this to me. But this love is so beyond our, our it, 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 
it was an example, much like I always say about how Joe Dumars, the Detroit Piston that I met and played with when I was 12 years old in sixth grade, just like his energy became this permanent model of what I wanted to emulate on the highest level collectively, this example of love became the model. I didn't understand it. I wouldn't understand it for many years. It caused a tremendous amount of pain. It led to me being smack dab in the middle of a very adult situation that I was ill prepared for and also didn't have a full understanding and awareness of until many years after the fact. And it, you know, and at, at the, I don't know, most salient level, it was a relationship that I, that never, we could not remain friends. We could not remain connected in this life. So this all took place within, you know, six years or so and six, seven years. And I haven't seen him in 24 years. The last time I talked to him was eight and a half years ago. And it, um, it is an anniversary I still acknowledge in my head. And it is a relationship that we still have, but it is at a very, very high spiritual level that has not, and I don't think is meant to play out any more than it did in the physical dimension. So I want to travel back in time a little bit today and reflect. And, um, this is, it's just, and really go back to the day with the story of the day. There are very few people, very few people in my network that will remember or know about whom I am speaking. And I will not use the name. And there are a handful of people from this time period in my life, most specifically my basketball teammates from high school, who will know exactly to whom I'm referencing. But again, please allow me to point out that the relationship in the physical ended 24 years ago in terms of having any sort of physical presence or connection any longer. And, you know, so while people will know, some people will know about whom I am speaking, the vast majority of people that I have met in my life after that point, do not know, will not know who I'm referencing. And there is a very, very, very small likelihood that this recording would ever reach this person or his family's ears. And that is somewhat important to me only because when I share stories like this one that I feel must be shared, But the sharing, part of the sharing will open myself up primarily for judgment and criticism. By virtue of the fact that I'm speaking of somebody else, it opens him up too. Again, not on a direct level, but remember, everything is energy. Everything is out there, you know, moving around and connecting and memories of him will be activated And likely there'll be only positive memories. Trust me, on the surface, this only got 
bad, if you will, because of our age difference and because he was married. Nothing ever happened on the physical. But the emotional connection and the role that I ended up playing in almost destroying this man's family, that was, again, I look back at it now and I think part of me finally allowing myself to share this is part of releasing myself from the guilt that I still feel about the role I played, especially in this person's significant other, his wife's life. I cannot believe that I was that person that almost broke up a marriage. (laughs) But I was a teenager, to be fair. And while on some level, by the time I got to 17, 18, 19, before it all came crashing down, on some level, I definitely knew, you know, what was going on. You know, it, 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 you know, we were breaking all these rules in the way that we constrict love. And we both, again, we both knew that, but neither one of us could step away from the connection that we had, from the friendship. And it, it was a very, very, very hard experience for me at a very young age. And because it happened at the age that I was, I, I had no frame of reference for any other relationship. I, I hadn't dated since middle school. So this, this was it. This was, and this ended up setting a very specific tone for me relationship wise. And all of this is still, I'm healed in so many ways from it, but I've also been blocking myself in my further progression and meeting my full potential in this life because of some of the unresolved aspects within myself regarding this huge relationship from my past and the ripple effect that it had in my world, in his world, and in the worlds of people that knew either and or both of us. Most of those ripples were positive. Most of them were only positive, and, and, but there were a few aspects to his family and to myself that were very, very long-lasting and on the surface, negative. So I'm trying to bring it all full circle by sharing today around this beautiful, you've got, if you're listening, I'm, I'm, I'm stating that the intention of this story is to share this insane love that I had with this guy and how many ways it revealed itself to be divine and literally out of this world from the beginning. So let's go back in time. It was Tuesday, July 31st, 1990 at Western Michigan University. I was 14 years old. I was there for team camp for Canton, Plymouth Canton High School's basketball team camp. Well, it was the state of Michigan's. It was a basketball team camp being offered to all the high schools for girls basketball in the state of Michigan at Western Michigan University. And it was always in, at this time, late July. And I was an incoming freshman who had already been selected to be on JV. And it was a JV and varsity camp. So I was there and I hadn't even started high school. And I cannot even tell you what, (laughs) I was in heaven. 
I was in heaven. Um, sports camps. I had previously gone for, I think two years at the time, a soccer camp at Eastern Michigan university, the two previous summers with my soccer team, the Plymouth lightning, we were state champs. And, um, I, I just, I have no words. I have no words. I was in heaven. I loved playing sports. I loved my teammates and I had spectacular early experiences as a young athlete especially once we moved out of Detroit at the end of 1984 and into the suburb of Plymouth, Michigan. So here I am. And I don't know if I was actually rooming with this friend. I think she was in an adjoining room and she was just giddy as hell coming into the bathroom as I was shaving my legs on the sink. (laughs) I remember this so clearly. I can't remember if it was the night before, if it was Monday, July 30th, or if it was Tuesday morning. My guess is it was Monday night. She couldn't contain her excitement because this guy was coming up. He was the, he was the coach for the freshman team of our program, and our program was like a family. Our, our head varsity coach who set the whole tone for the whole high school program, he, he did not have children of his own, so he lived, breathed, ate, drank, and slept basketball with such passion and love and purity. And that spread like a beautiful water wildflower through the entire program and therefore directly affected any and all of us to varying degrees that were part of the program. And he built a family. He built a family. And so just because this guy was just the freshman coach, he was still part of the coaching staff. So he would apparently come up for just a couple days during team camp in the middle of the week. And this friend of mine, I had been very close to since middle school. When I was in seventh grade, she was in eighth grade. She, and, and we were on the various sports teams of middle school. And that was my first time with school sports was seventh grade. In sixth grade, we weren't allowed to play. And in seventh grade, I just came blowing onto the scene. You know, I just, because I was an athlete. I was a natural athlete with a ton of energy who genuinely loved playing sports. So the energy that I brought to the field or to the court was pure heart energy. And I was a little vessel. And in a sport like soccer, my little vessel didn't stand out as much, neither when I was playing shortstop on a baseball field. But when I started to play the sport of basketball and instantly fell in love in fifth grade. And then when I became part of this program, it skyrocketed to my favorite, to my favorite sport. It jumped, it catapulted above soccer. But I was friends as I became an athlete on a team and learned and just naturally fell into those, the joy of being a natural leader on the court. This, this old friend of mine, she was a year older than me. So we were already extremely close friends and we played on the Plymouth lightning. By the time she entered high school, we had ended up at on the lightning at the same time as well. So I was, we were primarily soccer teammates. She was a goalkeeper and she was phenomenal. She also went to the same Eastern Michigan soccer camp that I went to. She was a phenomenal goalkeeper, but she also played basketball. In her freshman year, she raved about this guy 
when I was still in eighth grade and we would still talk all the time on the phone back when we had landlines. And like I said, we were still on the same soccer team outside of school. She was in high school already. I was in middle school, but we were still on the same soccer team. So we were very close. She began to struggle tremendously in high school, tremendously, most notably with her sexuality. In fact, she was the first friend that ever came out to me. And I remember it so clearly outside the front door of her house one night when I was spending the night. I was still in eighth grade. And I didn't even, to be honest with you, looking back, I don't even think I understood what she was sort of confessing to me and sharing, which was that she was gay. I just, I just naturally accepted and never had judgment of anybody. I mean, I just like... So I constantly was having friends share to this day, people share their most intimate things with me because they feel the lack of judgment that I exude. The fact that I like, oh my God, like I was, of course I was never going to judge my, my friend that I loved for, I didn't understand it. I was so naive. I was so naive. I didn't really understand what she was sharing with me. But looking back now at that time, to come out was, you know, that just wasn't, it wasn't really that common yet. And so she was really struggling. And this particular coach, this adult in her life was providing her just a safe place of acceptance for who she was. He was her coach. She was on the freshman basketball team at the time at Canton. And in no small way, he, he saved her. He helped her navigate through a very dark time. Not to say that she wouldn't have other dark times down the, down the line, but one of her early dark times, she was able to navigate because of the unbelievable guidance and non-judgmental, open, safe place that this coach and adult in her world provided. So she couldn't wait for him to get to team camp on this day, Tuesday, July 31st, 1990. I remember shaving my legs going, yeah, yeah, there's no way. Okay, so you're excited to see this guy. I get it. (laughs) Then I would meet him and it was over, man, because I can't remember if I realized this instantly, but I definitely put it together relatively quickly that I had seen this guy on two different occasions in my recent past and had very much been drawn to him. And here I was now meeting him around 1230 in the afternoon on Tuesday, July 1st, July 31st, 1990, on a practice basketball court at Western Michigan University at 14 years old. And I had seen him twice. And now I was meeting him. And almost instantly I knew exactly what this friend was referencing and speaking about. And, you know, that would start our relationship. So let me go back to the two times that I saw this guy and was drawn to him to help depict how divinely inspired this connection was. I was, as I referenced, on a soccer team called the Plymouth Lightning. We had, uh, oh my God, Frank Carey, one of the best, first and best coaches I ever had. His daughter was on the team. I was one of the youngest on the team. 
he and his wife and their son and their daughter, they were a huge soccer family. Again, bringing nothing but genuine, pure joy and passion for the sport. And that is the fuel I am looking to surround. Like my entire life is built upon passion, passion, love, and in its in its, it's pure passion and love when you're doing something you're genuinely passionate about and that you genuinely love. It has a purity about it and you feel it and it spreads and it's contagious. And I just was so blessed to have my young life, especially like I said, when I got out of Detroit and into the suburbs, it just blossomed. And thank God, because my immediate home life was crumbling faster than, than I could even comprehend. So Frank Carey had this great team. We were phenomenal. We, we, I don't know that we won our state championship. I don't think we won with Frank as our coach. I think he would turn it over to Joe Barbario when his daughter went to high school and moved, moved up to the high school level. He no longer coached the Plymouth Lightning, but then his former assistants, um, Goff, I can't remember her first name, Marilyn, Marilyn Goff, I think, and Joe Barbario would become our coaches. And we won the state championship my eighth grade year, I believe. And I was at practice one day at East Middle School, and my parents were divorced when I was in fifth grade, so I always, once I started playing sports, I had to wait for rides a lot, had to hitch rides home with coaches and teammates, families a lot. Um, and I was at East Middle School sitting against the fence after soccer practice all by myself waiting for my mom. Um, and it's kind of unusual that I didn't have a coach waiting, but not really because my mom was reliable. She would always come, but it was just, she couldn't get there till, you know, 15, 20 minutes after practice had ended. And I'm sitting there and I look to my left and there's this baseball field, the softball field. And I see this guy and he's pitching to a bunch of kids and young adults that were down syndrome kids. And he was the only adult with all of these, you know, mentally disabled. And in some, they were mostly all on the field. So I don't think they were physically disabled. And they appeared to almost all be, by, by my memory, Down syndrome kids. And they were just, you know, they were, they were like, they were playing. And this guy was the adult that was in charge of this small group of kids. And he was, he was like, you know, in his twenties, he was, he was not that old, but he was not that young. And he was very cute, very good looking. And I remember thinking to myself at my, at the time I was probably 13, thinking to myself, wow, like it, it stood out at this level. I'm like, God, most guys that age would not be taking and volunteering their time to be spending with a group of you know, disabled children, I, I just, I, I re, it stood out. It stood out. And I remembered his face and I remembered just taking note of, and, and, and some may even say, how could you even have that awareness at 13 years old? Ask my mother. She will tell you. It's very entirely plausible that I am definitely not misremembering this, that I would have that awareness. I had a very keen awareness and an ability to connect with adults at a very young age. And my mom can and would verify that. So then fast forward, not, not that many months later, 
probably within a year, and I am finishing up a middle school basketball game at on my home court at Central Middle School. And on one of the nights during the week, there was a men's league that would play on our courts and they would start presumably it was probably five six o'clock and we didn't get out of school I don't think till you know three or four o'clock so our games you know our games would lead into these met this men's league so here I am finishing up a game and leaving the gym and I see that guy again he's part of the men's league so now I see him among his peers and he's playing basketball and I'm like that's the guy that I saw pitching with all the Down syndrome kids, you know, like a year ago or eight months ago, whatever it was. And I remember, I'm like, that's the same guy. So again, file it in my memory bank because he's very cute. And clearly, well, there, there's a very distinct reason that I was drawn to, to guys older than me. And it began with having crushes on all the older guys in my neighborhood. You know, I was a little tomboy and we had a neighborhood chock full of guys that were probably... See, if I'm in like fourth grade, fifth grade, and these guys are like in upper high school, so what is that? Probably seven years older than me. And they all, they played ice hockey on the streets in the wintertime. They played basketball in the summertime. They played baseball down at the park at the elementary school in my neighborhood at Farrand Elementary. I could still name you all these guys. All the Dankert boys, Ryan Hahn, Jeff Hahn, Jim Friggy was the one I had the biggest crush on, and a guy named Dave McCara. I mean, I still remember the names of these guys. I also was friends, close friends, with a couple of college guys that were my neighbors. Brad Weston across the street, Keith Stone next to me, and I had crushes on them. I was just, my, my home life was shut down in a big way emotionally and, and certainly spiritually and emotionally for me. And my parents, you know, my dad was not present there in the home, and my mom was barely surviving in all sorts of ways, being a single mom of three kids, now like freaking out and trying not to show it, even though it was for me, it, 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 I had a very tough inner, inner home life. And I, I was not getting anything emotionally or guiding me that I needed at a very young age. And I was very aware. So that is why I gravitated. Um, to, and I gravitated, I think to guys just because my masculine energy was way more dominant from my young life in me than my, than my softer feminine. I mean, I just, I was all those stereotypical guy things. Um, not that I like putting gender identification on anything. I really don't, but you know, in our physical dimension, there are masculine qualities and feminine qualities. That's not a good or bad thing to say. It's, it's a reality. So anyway, now we're back on Tuesday, July 31st, and it must've hit me. It must've hit me immediately that it was the same guy. It must've, how could it not have when I remember, you know, I remember, I remember East, then it's Central. <gasps> how funny is that? <laughs> I'm just sharing this story now. And look at, th- look at that. I first saw him at a school called East. Then I saw him at a school called Central. Then I met him officially at a university, another school called Western. Oh my God. I have to take pause on that because, oh my God. Again, see many people 
probably won't be able to appreciate why that is so powerful a realization for me. But if I just say it this way, everything is about, everything is about energy and ultimately having balanced energy. Okay. So it's about balance. The whole number four is about balance, four directions, you know, and I just, directions are balance, you know, and I just named East, West, Central, like directionals, um, that are associated with meeting an energy that's all about love and divinely guided simply because it was like the universe crossed our paths two times before we would finally meet. It was like, you guys are intended to cross paths and it's not minor the reason why. And, oh my God, that's beautiful. It's such a beautiful synchronicity. Um, so yeah, so then I met him. He was there for like two days and that was it. I, I was, it was puppy love at first without doubt, but it, it wasn't just puppy love. It wasn't just because this guy had the cute, you know, because he was so cute to me. It wasn't just because of his knowledge and as at basketball and how he applied it to, to life. I mean, this guy was not your normal 20 something guy. He just wasn't, he was not college educated. He was a manager of a business that his brother owned in town. That's infamous. And that's even funny if you knew the name of the business, which I won't share because that could directly be easier for people to know who I'm talking about. And I don't want people to search to know who I'm talking about. I know there's people who know, I know who I'm talking, you know, who know who I'm talking about, but, and that's fine, but I don't want to, I don't want to bring any unnecessary attention to this guy now present day, but I, I personally have to begin to share bits and pieces of this story because the essence of this story is the love that I shared with him was the love. It was unconditional. It was the oneness. It was, it was it. It was what I knew life was supposed to be about. And all of our connections were supposed to be about, and we were never supposed to get hung up on all these rules and ways that we've, you know, constricted and labeled this powerful feeling and beingness of love. And so uh, infamous, infamous business that, that his brother owned and he was a manager of, he had already owned a house. I mean, like I'm saying this guy, not normal, not normal. And, and, and very much guided anybody that came under his wing, whether it was on the basketball court or whether it was within this business where he was a manager. And because of his connection to the high school, all kinds of employees, almost every single one was connected to some basketball program up at the park is what we called it. At the time we had two huge high schools on the same campus and we all went to classes in both high schools, two huge high schools. Sorry to digress, but this is just energetically sort of an important piece of the puzzle because again, this, this isn't entirely common. I don't think either. Each high school was like 2,400 students, something like that. We were on the same campus. And the only thing that separated us were our sports teams. The marching band was together. The performing arts, the people and, and folks that put on the plays was done together. The, and we went to classes in both buildings. The only thing that separated us were our sports teams. And so there were like 5,000 kids on this campus. And so when you go up there at 14 years old, that's a lot. That's a lot for some kids. It wasn't a lot for me. It was 
heaven for me. Ninth grade year, eighth and ninth grade were two of my best years in this life in terms of living pure joy, pure happiness, thriving, and having no idea that it would ever be anything but that. Um, you know, to be honest, not understanding anywhere near what was vibing and, and the aura and how vast my, 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 sensories were of what I was experiencing and what I was feeling and how deep I naturally went in terms of my connections to my everyday life and to the people I met. So much of it was not really fully aware, but yet on some level I was. So all kinds of men and women from the basketball programs, because this guy had actually played back in the seventies at the other high school at Plymouth Salem. And he was a coach at Plymouth Canton, but all the coaches, even the coaches used to coach men and women. Um, so it, it was a very, the basketball community of Plymouth Canton and Plymouth Salem was very close knit and it was called the park and lots of kids from the park worked at one or both of the restaurant chains that this, his brother owned. So this guy that I would become connected to very closely from age 14 to age 19, um, was very influential in many people's lives. Um, not just my own, many people's lives. As I said, the day I physically met him on this day, 31 years ago, my very, very, very good friend was about who am I? As I told you, she was gay. She wasn't drawn to men. And yet she loved this men as a prime example of what I'm trying to say. We have just oversimplified love and we've, 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 we've constricted it. We've harnessed it in. We've put all these labels and rules what it means if you're a woman and you're heterosexual and you're drawn to the opposite sex, or if you're a man and you're heterosexual and drawn to the opposite sex and what all these rules and what you're supposed to feel and what you're not allowed to feel. And it was this relationship that took us both on a ride. Um, I can't speak for his side because we've never come back in adulthood to, to discuss this. Um, I tried. I tried in two different ways to see his family. They, they, thankfully, they, they, thankfully the family is still together. And I, I apologize for bouncing, for bouncing on this. And, and God, I just don't even, I think I'm, I've, I've got to share it. But, but the interesting thing is I haven't been able to convey it thus far, at least what I feel in a way that anybody will actually stick with it to listen to it, unless you know who I'm talking about. And there has been a strong intuition of mine that that's exactly that I am supposed to share a bit more about how deep this relationship was, how deeply it affected me negatively and positively, how it affected me into adulthood, how it continues to affect me today, because all I, I think I am intended to share it and invite many people of my past, from my past who I do know, know they will know who I'm speaking about in an effort. I, you know what? I'm not even going to try to guess why. It's just an intuition. It's, it's, I'm hoping I wanted to convey it in a way that would have people present day who don't know who I'm referencing want to listen but I also know this was going to come out choppy because it's the first time I've ever allowed myself to speak publicly. Um, and I say publicly in quotes, but by virtue of putting this in an episode of my podcast, which I am intending this to be 
albeit a weak episode, albeit arguably a very hyper-focused in terms of audience episode, um, and hyper-focused in terms of topic matter, um, I'm, I'm being drawn to share it as such. And that means that even if only one or two people listen, I am still opening this up publicly. And I have been very, very nervous to do so because there is absolutely zero part of me that ever wants to cause any more harm or pain. I don't think I caused much harm or pain directly to this man, but I know, I know what, what tremendous pain I caused his wife. And I, I, I am, I, I cannot tell you how sorry I am for that. And, um, but I also know that I had zero intention to cause that pain. I wasn't trying to do it purposely. And, oh my God, I got to bounce again. But I referenced, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop another title of a recent, very short snippet of a title of a piece of work on my YouTube channel, not on my podcast, called Enough is Enough. If you look up Nune, Enough is Enough. It's very short. It references... It references part of this experience without, you'd never know it, but what I'm trying, there were times when I was a child in age where I really was the victim of some, some kind of some, some fucked up adult shit, you know, like, I, I, I mean, some, this, this was not a minor thing. I was in love with a married guy. I'm pretty sure it was, I know it was reciprocated. Again, we didn't act upon it physically, but I know the magnitude of what we were exchanging, the depth of the love that we had, it was breaking all the rules of the surface. He was married and we had a very strong connection and it really took a whole nother level when, when I turned 18 and, um, I almost destroyed, I almost destroyed his family, but I was the kid. He had the responsibility to end it. He, you know, again, and I ended up being the one that had to walk away from it. And, um, in that video, enough is enough. I was, I'm thinking of the kids present day, all the victims of the child sex trafficking, which is going on on this planet present day and has been going on and is, exists at a level that I had no, I was not ready to face it. Somebody first tried to tell me about it six or seven years ago. I wasn't ready to face it. I still don't think I need to know a lot of the details, but not, we all have to acknowledge that. And when kids are involved, arguably it's arbitrary, but up to 18 is the way that we live, you know, in America, at least adulthood begins at 18 for, again, it's somewhat arbitrary, but, but it's an agreed upon age. So up until 18, there is a responsibility. There's a greater responsibility of adults in kids' lives to look out for them and to look out for their well-being ahead of their own. It's not to say that as the adult in the situation, you're not going through your shit too. Of course you fucking are. We're all humans and we all go through shit forever. It doesn't end. As long as you're in physical form, even in a world of peace, love, joy, and happiness, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be speed bumps. There's going to be tough times and you want those tough times. But if you're an adult going through a tough time and you've got the responsibility of a child in your life, you got to fucking suck it up. Dig deep and fucking suck it up. And if you're not able to, 
understand that the souls of both of your beings chose that experience, but to deny that the responsibility was greater in that human character to act is not being real about the physical. This man had the greater responsibility to end our friendship. And he and I definitely, as I got to 17 and certainly when I got to 18 and 19, we both knew this on a certain level. And I couldn't do it and he couldn't do it. And there was finally a breaking point. And the breaking point was because his wife left him and blamed me. And she wasn't off. She wasn't wrong. But I was a kid. I was a kid. And this man was my father figure, my older brother, my best friend, and my boyfriend, all wrapped into one energetically. The relationship I had met all of those stereotypical aspects, dynamics of when we label a relationship father-daughter, when we label a relationship older brother-younger sister, when we label a relationship boyfriend-girlfriend, when we label a relationship best friends, we all know And instantly go to the feelings of what those relationships, what we mean when we put those labels on a relationship. And I had all of those with him at a time where my family life was horrendous. And I was seriously and literally suicidal. He saved me and my basketball team, my high school basketball program, that coaching staff, those teammates, and specifically this man saved my life. I had the knife to my wrists multiple times my junior year. Multiple times. Junior year and senior year were horrible because my parents had gotten remarried to each other after nine years of divorce and my father was back living in my home And my relationship with my mother did not get any better. So that really threw me for an even bigger fucking, I didn't know how to reconcile what the fuck was going on in my immediate family. I now understand it so very much. And that is for, and delving into that is is a whole nother layer. And it's not even the delving into, it's the sharing of it from a futuristic, more healed place. I'm not going to say fully healed because I don't know that I'll ever fully heal from the wounds that go back the furthest in this life. Because just when I've thought I've been healed from them, they rear their heads in insidious new ways. The humility of the spiritual journey is to know that lessons will always be learned Just when you think you've got it all figured out, the universe, (laughs) source energy, the creator will knock you down a bit and remind you, you ain't got shit figured out in your human self. This relationship with this man was a direct result of the brokenness in my home. So it's all fucking connected. But I've held back on discussing either one. One, because the last time I naively tried to do this eight and a half years ago, I shared way too much with way too many, way too soon, specifically my family stuff. 
And what that drew in more than anything was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of negative energy directed at me from all the people that I love the most, my family and extended family in ways that I, I, I was not intending to bring up the past. I was not intending to air dirty laundry. I was not intending to throw anyone under the bus. I was just for the first time trying to give voice to my own story because my voice was silenced in my own home very early on. I took that into my lack of a voice into my adulthood. And this has been key in holding myself back from reaching anywhere near my potential. And I am at a popping point of my potential right now. I am at a precipice and I have been at this place and known I was at this place multiple times in the past eight years, but the habits and the patterns and the momentum of all the negativity of these sorts of t- this, this, these times, my past in these ways and how I was experiencing it and not ever being able to voice it. All I was trying to do eight and a half years ago was give voice to it from a genuinely happy and genuine, genuine place of healing. I was never, I had never been happier in my life. And I knew then that speaking about the fear dominated past and how I had met, made it through to a love foundation of love, a life that's now founded in love and how I had survived near death of myself because of the depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts because of how I could not reconcile all that I was picking up on. It's got to be talked about. Hence why today, and I didn't plan this. I did not plan this. I had two recordings I tried to do on the 29th, two nights ago. And I've got a, a friend, JM, he can, he can, he can, uh, uh, confirm because it was in response to his podcast recordings shared only with me that I was trying to do my next podcast episode and I couldn't get it out. I couldn't get it out, you know, and part of that is because it's been two weeks since I've done an episode. And part of that is because I'm like, fuck, there's so much to fucking share. Like there's so much to share. There's so many directions I can guide a conversation. There's so much upon which I can comment. And it's, it's all connected, so it's really challenging for me. It takes effort to not go off on tangents. And I, uh, you know, so I tried on the 29th. I was not intending to do a recording on the anniversary of the meeting, official meeting of this guy and the re- greatest love I've ever known in this life in the most intimate way. I, I, again, I don't know how this man, it wasn't physical, but the love I shared with this man was to this day is the greatest complete expression that I've yet shared. Now I've had some pretty powerful, wonderful, beautiful, deep sharings of love with many people in different ways, but with this guy and a a lot of it was because I was just so naive and young. I didn't know any fucking better. I had no boundaries. Shit. I didn't learn how to put boundaries up till about four years ago, five years ago. Did I finally learn boundaries and how to protect myself and protect others, to be honest, but, but protect myself first and foremost, but protecting others by, by extension, because you know, we, we, our actions, and when we don't have awareness of our power and our actions, we do inadvertently affect people in good ways and in bad ways. Like this example with this man and his wife, I literally almost destroyed this man's family. Thank God. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God 
they moved away and their family is, it's a, a, a unbelievably beautiful family, unbelievably powerful, beautiful family. As of course, he would only be the head of once, you, you know, like, like it had to play out this way. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure how I would have managed if I had the guilt of, because his, his oldest son had been born by the time this really got bad, where she left, took his son, went to her mother's, her, her parents' house. Also, by the way, people I knew, um, in fact, should I share this? It was her mother when I was 19 years old that asked to take me to lunch. And her mother, the wife's mother, told me that she believed her daughter's husband was in love with me. At this time, I was also playing college for an extreme college basketball down in Florida for an extremely abusive coach. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to let it bounce. Enough is enough. I just connected it to the other thing that I was referencing in my enough is enough business. This man's job, his responsibility as the adult, even though I was a young adult by the end, I was 18, 19, he should have cut it off earlier or at least made it very clear to me he, to squash. I was a young girl. I hadn't dated anybody since, well, I did date a little bit in ninth grade, a little bit in 10th grade. My last boyfriend prior to meeting this guy, right, right. Or my last boyfriend prior to me just not being drawn to anybody my own age at all in a relationship was Eric Stockline. And, and he is now dead, which is actually, he died of, which is really interesting that that's a whole nother story. And the way I learned of that story was through a girl that worked with me. I, I, there's, there's so many beautiful pieces of this story that I want to share to help me continue to heal from the negative aspects of it. But he had a responsibility to, to look out for me. And, and he didn't, he wasn't strong enough to do so. And then at simultaneously, as I'm going through that and, and, and then, you know, obviously I was going through some stuff in my home where my parents didn't have the responsibility. They didn't have the ability either. They had their hands full with themselves and, um, they didn't have the ability to look out for me emotionally and spiritually and in the ways that I needed either. And when I went to college, our coach, you know, I'm pretty sure you would get every single player that I played with, at least, to agree she was not a nice, she was not a nice coach. She was not an, she was not a, a nice person. Um, we were definitely abused emotionally. Physically, not really. I mean, but there were like, there was, you know, there was a couple of close calls, if you, if you will, of something that could be called physical abuse, but it would have been minor. But it was definitely emotionally. And um, again, here I was surrounded by adults at our university who knew this woman was treating, mistreating us. And we were young women. And no one had the courage to do what was really right. And um, just like this man I fell in love with, it, it yeah, it's going to take courage and strength to do something that you know has to be done that you don't want to do. 
And it takes courage and strength to make a decision that you know hurts you, but is that you have to do in order to care for another person. You know, and again, especially if they're young, if they're children, if you've got the greater responsibility. And I had a young life chalk full of because I was so far beyond my years, emotionally and spiritually. And, and people felt it. You, you can't point something like that out, but people felt it. So they treated me, it, it, it just, I, I, I was that. I was the adult in a lot of ways, emotionally and spiritually, in these quiet ways. But I was still a child in this physical life. And I, you know, definitely was more of a quote-unquote victim of some abusive situations that would adversely affect me for decades. Decades, not just years, decades afterwards. And how can I not want to speak up from the other side of that to be a voice for anyone going through it as a young woman now and also for all the other women in various ages from being a kid to being an adult, you know, to the whole, the women that are still carrying around pain from similar experiences. Because while this, obviously the experiences are specific, they also are very high level. I've met many women, not surprising that I've connected to more on a spiritual level that have also fallen in love with older men and had some pretty unfortunate experiences with older men. I have met many, many people on the spiritual journey that come from broken homes and being and having a role similar to mine in a broken home. Um, I've met many college athletes that had experiences that were less than positive from at least like my, now, not even just my generation. I'm thinking most recently of this young woman uh, from Wisconsin, who was a swimmer on the University of Wisconsin's team in Madison. I met her through Ironman at an expo. And her description of her college experience was so similar to mine. We instantly bonded. And those are the three general areas. My home with this man, my first love with an older man, married, older married man, and college sports. Where I was, a, I was, I was, a, I was a victim. Now I'm not that now, but I carried because I was a victim as a child, and because I had no adults helping me navigate and recognize the adults that I loved the most were these adults. You know, like it, it, it. I took it all into high. I took that victimhood into adulthood in a world that is is conditioned on victimhood. But I'm on the other side of that in fucking huge, real ways. And when you're a victim, when you come overcome anything, whether it's victimhood, whether it's body image problems, suicidal tendencies, you know what it feels like. When you're on the other side, now you have a comparison. You know what the side feels of not feeling those things, and you know what it feels like to feel those things. You know the feeling, you know the frequency, you know the vibration. It's like that line, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So 
For example, when, I, when I'm around others that have present-day body image problems and eating disorder problems, I fucking feel it because I know that vibration very well. I spent well over a decade hating my, pretty much two decades, hating myself physically. I still struggle with it. Morphed into a horrible eating disorder problem. I know the feeling. And, you know, it's, it's, you can, you can, you can't speak to the version of experiencing it. You, it's a dip. I'll say it this way. Oh, sorry. My foot's asleep. Ow, ow, ow. You can't, it's a very different experience when you're on the other side, when you're on the other side of something. And I know I'm on the other side of the victimhood without doubt. There's no fucking way. I'm not a victim. I'll never be a victim again, ever, ever, ever. And really, nobody after 18 should be a victim. Again, 18, arbitrary adult. No. If we're taking proper care of our kids, the adults in the kid's life, the adults that maybe when the adults that are in the positions that quote unquote should be doing something and they're not, other adults are stepping in within reason if you can. I'm not saying take kids out of homes and I'm not, I'm not trying to get into that. I'm just saying that there were other adults in my life who could have stepped in where, you know, and in fact, and in fact, the father of one of the, uh, and in fact, an adult in my, actually three adults, and this is where I'm going to try to conclude on because we're coming up on an hour, three specific adults in my life, a young married couple that I was very close to, very close to, they used to live across the street from me, I used to pet sit for their dog, Jesse, and their cat, Sunshine, their cats, Sunshine and Max. And they, along with uh, a guy that was a part owner of a business that, that he owned with the man I fell in love with, they were the reasons I ultimately ended the friendship and the connection with the married guy. They were the reasons, specifically the, the, father, the guy that owned the business with him. He was finally the one that said to me directly, you, you have to do this. He can't do it. He can't do it. And you have to, you have to, this isn't good for him. This isn't good for you. This isn't good for his wife. He's got a son now. And sorry, I know I, I dropped that. I was starting to say earlier, I don't know if I would have been able to recover knowing that he got divorced and, and his family life really was ruined at a time that correlated directly to my role in their life. Once he had a son, I don't know that I could have lived with, I really don't. I really don't. So um, I am, I am in no way sharing this now to bring any ill attention. I don't want any attention. I will, I will not share the name. Um, and to anyone out there who may listen to this, and there may be some of you, I invite to listen to this. If I invite you to listen to this, please know that that is a direct, huge act of faith and trust in you that you will accept Please don't listen if you can't accept that, like if you're going to listen and just turn it around and it, it, it would be easy to turn this around on the surface level. It would be very easy. The, the age difference between us, the fact that he was married, very easy to make this inappropriate. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying in our world of rules, it wasn't. But it was not, it never, this was not a guy that, that was a sick pervert that was drawn to all kinds of young girls. We were not carrying on an adulterous affair. 
you know, and yes, obviously emotionally there was a very, you know, was it an emotional affair? Yeah. But, you know, and again, I, I, but I will not all these years later, even though the adverse effects were real and long as a result of him not having the strength to end what should have ended. I, I, I will never, I know what the essence is. I know why he couldn't do it because the connection we shared was so rare. It was so fucking rare. It still has been rare. It still has been rare to find somebody that can hold space and sees the best you and wants nothing more than you to be your best. And you bring out the best in one another and you dream together and you imagine together and it's just pure joy in the simpleness of just being present with one another, let alone actually needing to do anything in the physical. It was bliss. This relationship, I mean, it was torture because of the situation, but the relationship and the love shared was bliss. And that was too important of a lesson because it gave me the example to take with me for the rest of this life of what the one love, unconditional essence, the God energy is. So accept that this is a beautiful story and this man did the best he could and I did the best I could. And this is told only with the intent to soften the negative aspects, to help heal Specifically for, for, it's really just to put this out for the general, for others that have gone through this on a general level, any, gone through any experience where love hasn't been allowed to be fully experienced, whether it's because fear dominates the love as in the case with my immediate family, my parents and my brothers, whether it's the case where the sharing expression of the love being felt just breaks too many rules of where we are as a society and as a culture, as a humanity, as it was with this married man, or whether it's the love of, in this case, a sport and being a teammate that was destroyed for me through a coach that I, a type of coach I had never had. I had never had a coach that didn't care about me as a human being and saw me only as a means to their end. I was a job to her. We were, we were, we were not human to her. She was not in a place in her own life where she had the capability. We, we were a job. I had never played for a coach ever. I had never played for a coach that not only didn't see me as a human first, but that did so at such a high, I mean, I was at a division one program for God's sake. I, I was in the, I was sweep, swimming in the deep end. And I, I, I mean, I know, I don't want to say I had no business being there, but I, I mean, as evident by the fact that I had to relinquish that scholarship early into my sophomore year, I was not ready for the magnitude of, I, I was, I was, I, I had so much, I was so naive and so wounded and it was going to be another rough decade plus before I'd finally make sense of all this, but it all centers around love. <laughs>
And we've got to start healing from all this fear bullshit and all the bullshit of this world that's collapsing around us and fueling love and sharing stories that finding the love in places where, you know, you got to dig a little because on the surface, like I said, this story is easy to make one that's sick, disgusting, bad. And it's not that at all. Not There's aspects of that, but the vast, vast, vast majority of the story is a story of love. And that is, it's my story. This is my story to share. That is the intention. I am telling you that is what it was from my perspective. I can't speak from his. I know that's what it was from mine. I know that for a large degree, that's what it was for him. And you will not, you know, come at me energetically. Right now I state to the universe, I will not accept any energy being directed towards me, any part of what I may or may not share about this going down the line. I don't accept. You're you're free to interpret however you want, but it's my story. It was my reality. I didn't have a voice back then. You better believe I have a voice now. And this is a story. This is a story of love. Thank you.